0: Here's the main idea for tonight, (laughs) the main idea. It's in your your program there, and uh, if you get nothing else, here is the main idea. Young people and all of us need a church that is a warm, welcoming, authentic home. Jesus found such a community as a 12-year-old boy temporarily separated from his Parents, that is the big deal. That is what we got going on. And um, and and let me tell you, when I was a youth pastor, I did for 13 years, and we'd always go to Mexico. We'd go to Mex- Mexico about six times a year build homes, we would team up with the churches down there, and uh, the churches would do a lot of the follow-up, and uh, actually and I think about two or three weeks or so, um, the founders of the organization, uh, more ministries will, will will be here, which will be great, and uh, Gayla, she's one of the founders, her and I are going to team teach together um, about unlocking keychain leadership, and um, it's, it's going to be really amazing. But, but we went down to Mexico to build uh, some homes, and it was a week-long trip, and when you're with... Anybody for a week like living together and, and day in and day out, you need a break. So we said, okay, we're gonna have a beach day. So we went down to the beach down in Mexico, beautiful. And down in Mexico beaches, like like they sell everything. You know, you could get your name embroidered and anything that you want. They have some of the best, like chili that if you like spicy stuff, delicious to die for. So so we're hanging out there, and I'm in the water hanging out and um, just just playing. The students are playing, it's great. And then I get I get this like this come on in from one of my my, my right hand guy my right hand leaders and I say hey, what's going on he says I um, I've been looking for Amanda and Rachel for the past 30 minutes and I can't find them. This is Mexico. Things happen in Mexico. Like like you disappear and you may not ever be seen again, type thing in Mexico. And so I start to worry. He starts to worry. So we start, you know, scouring the beach trying to find Amanda and Rachel. And, and there's these tourists on ATVs. We sent them one way. We sent the other ones the other way. And they went on ATVs looking for it. And about 40 minutes into it, I'm on the verge of panicking because I'm about to lose two high school students. And I'm starting to freak out. Then all of a sudden... I see these two girls coming, and they stand out because everyone is Latino and they're, you know, white. And they come out, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And I walked up to them, and I said, very kindly, <laughs> where were you? And I would never raise my voice in this situation. <laughs> I said, where were you? And they said, we just wanted to go up and down the, 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 the shore getting seashells. I said, Se- seashells? Seashells? Do you realize what could happen to you? You don't just leave the group and not tell us where you're going looking for seashells. And I was frustrated. But there was a moment where I was just so scared of what could happen because I'd lost these two students. To this day, if you ask the students about it, they definitely will tell you about, about all of that. So it's, it's, it was one of those moments where I was just scared to death. But we have a similar account in the Gospel of Luke. And by the way, I just realized this today, that on some, under a lot of the chairs, there's actually Bibles under there. Did you guys know that? Oh, I'm the only one who didn't. So we, had, the KCS, had a full-on like concert with the preschool and kindergarten uh, grades. It was amazing, and uh, and so we sat in the back there you know cuz when i'm not preaching i get to sit in the back and 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 i had lily with me the 2 year old and she's you know of course running around everywhere and all of a sudden i looked there and i go, there's a bible there I look there's a bible there so just in case you didn't know which y'all obviously most of you did there's bibles underneath okay anyway whatever all right at least i knew where that went to all right luke chapter <laughs> luke chapter 2 luke chapter 2 if you ever felt like a bad parent this passage is going to make you feel like a good parent Anybody ever felt like a bad parent or a bad grandparent? Raise your hand, ever feel like a bad parent, bad grandparent. We all have at one time or another. Luke chapter two verse forty one every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, when Jesus was twelve years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boys the boy Jesus. Stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Mom and dad were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have anxiously been searching for you.'" Verse 49, "'Why were you searching for me?' Jesus asked. "'Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house?' But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I love that about Mary. It treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. The feeling of being alone is actually in stark contrast to... The story that we see here with Jesus in the temple. This is the only account that we have in our Bible about Jesus as a preteen. Now the Apocrypha has uh, other accounts of, of, of Jesus. But but, but in the, in, the, in the canon of our scriptures, this is the only story of Jesus as a preteen. So you think it's pretty significant. There's a lot to this story here. And the account goes like this. Mary and Joseph are in their 20s, and they come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and then they go back. Back in that day, lots of times, you'd have all the men travel in one caravan, and then you'd have all the women in another caravan, and lots of times, the kids would just go back and forth, because that's what kids would do. So Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. You see the problem here? So you got the, the man on this side, the woman on this side, kids kind of crossing and doing their own thing, and Joseph is probably thinking, I'm just thinking from a dad's perspective, man, I get a little bit of peace for a day. Not that any dad would ever say that. But, 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 but he's, he's, he's like, man, then, but then he probably starts thinking, where's Jesus? And Mary probably starts thinking, where's Jesus? Mary and Joseph lost the Son of God. Like, have you ever lost the Son of God? Like, have you ever lost Jesus? Like, I'm telling you, like, you're like a bad parent. Like, this is, I don't know, like, Parenting 101, make sure your kids are with you. Like, I know, like, if I bring three of my kids to McDonald's, I'm going to bring three of my kids home. Like, that's Parenting 101. So Mary and Joseph lost the Son of God. God in human form somehow. So parents, you're not all that bad. We all make mistakes, but at least... You didn't lose God. Is that funny Is that right? Yeah. All right. Come on. Work with me here, Friday night. All right. So, so, so uh, uh, it was. In, uh, so they went to the temple because it was important for Jesus to be at the temple. You know, it was all part of Jewish customs and Jewish traditions, and it's all part of becoming a man in this culture. And and his family, Mary and Joseph, were doing what was expected. Of every good Jewish family to do, and they were doing all the good all the right things that every good Jewish parent would would do and um, and 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 so they were doing that and um, we could only imagine how Mary and Joseph would have felt losing Jesus. but what I want to focus on is where Jesus was. He was at the temple. three days he was gone so. So they traveled for a day. Where's Jesus? I don't know. They probably slept on it, then they probably looked around, and then they came back. So that's probably three days there. Jesus is there in the temple. Now he's a 12 year old boy. 12 year old boys eat a lot. 12-year-old boys are active, and they want to do stuff. When I was a 12-year-old boy, my favorite cereal was Captain Crunch with Crunch Berries. And then I'd come home and have Pop-Tarts, and I'd have more cereal. And I'd watch cartoons for about two hours, and then I would do whatever it was. But that's what I did. I ate a lot, and I, you know, required a lot of food to keep my body going. It was back in the days when you'd eat whatever you want, and you never got a belly. But those are good days. So what happened was they... The, 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 the Jewish family there, the rabbis or the other families, they took Jesus under their wing. They fed this boy all the food he possibly could eat, I imagine. They gave him a place to sleep. Three days he was missing. So that's two nights he stayed at somebody's house that somebody was looking after him. Some family was looking after Jesus. It's an amazing concept, because the community stepped in for a boy they didn't know. This community saw Jesus, they welcomed Jesus, they brought him to the table, they had food with him, they ate with him, they listened to him, and by the time his parents caught up with him, they were so amazed at the what Jesus was saying and the the response Jesus was giving to these religious leaders of the day and the fact that somebody would care for them they were amazed at all of that and i wonder thinking about our church whether the experience of young people in our church is similar to the experience that Jesus had do young people in our church feel seen do they feel heard are young people in our church known? Do we know who they are? Are single people in our church known? Divorced people in our church known? Families in our church known? The season, adults in our church known? People who are injured and, and are home, are they known? Sometimes young people feel segregated from the life of the church Sent off to their own kids' table, rather than welcome to the intergenerational life God intends for Christian community. Remember Thanksgiving, I remember being at Thanksgiving, and I would... As a, as a kid growing up, I'd, I'd be at the kid's table. You know, Thanksgiving, uh, I, I'm assuming it's the same in Hawaii, but growing up in Southern California, you had the adult table and you had the kid table. And the kid table was usually some small card table that you just put like 20 kids around because that's what kids do. Is it the same here? Okay. So here I am at the kid table. I remember the day, well, the general season, when I graduated from the kid's table to the adult table. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I could eat the good turkey, realizing it's all the same food. But I felt good because I was no longer at the kid table. I was at the adult table. The family has says, you are an adult now. You can sit at the adult table. And it was an amazing experience because for all these years, I was at the kid table. And, and after a while, that kid table just gets a little too small and it gets, you get a little bit you know, too cramped. But Jesus calls us. He calls us to a warm community. He calls us to fuel a warm community. New research from Fuller Youth Institute has revealed that young people, ages 15 to 29, are looking for churches to welcome them to the full table. We might assume that these young people want a cool church, but all the research says and what I've experienced working with college students for the last seven, almost eight years What they really want is a warm church. Say the word warm. And not just temperature because air conditioning is, you know, but warm because we're loving, we're caring, and all that. This generation wants a church that says, you belong here. Say that with me. You belong belong here. That's what this up and coming generation wants. And one of the most common description of young people when they talked about their church that they love, like when they're talking about their church that they love, like this is my church, they would use phrases like, it's like family. It's like family. Not all the bells and all the whistles, but it's a church that is like family one theologian says this he 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 says we are the church doesn't mean we meet occasionally or we cooperate in a current project instead we actually become part of one another and it reminds me of what paul says in romans 12 5 he says that we are the body of christ that we all belong to one another that we are all needed for one another like the hand can't say to the foot i don't need you we all need one another. We're all part of the body of Christ, and we all have an important role to play in all of this. And can I say something? If I, can I just brag on our congregation? like Our church is one of the most caring and warm churches I've been a part of. I've been involved with so many different churches, being in either an itinerant preacher, uh, interim preacher, um, and, 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 or consulting. You know, for, for many years, and this church, Our church is extremely warm and welcoming and caring. When Kaz and I got here in July to interview with Pastor Ron and Dee and Norman, it was, and I've said this before, but it was the moment that was like, whoa, there's something different here. Then when I preached that next Friday and Sunday, it was like, whoa, there's something different here. And you know what's fascinating? I hear that more and more and more and more. A few months ago, we had a president from a university come and visit. When, when you're president of a Christian university, your job is to visit churches because that's what you do. And you schmooze and all that stuff. And hopefully you get money from churches because you want to send out students to all over the world to impact the world for Christ. Um, but this president came. He was on vacation. He came and, um, and he says, you know, I've been to a lot of churches. And this is the most welcoming and caring church I've ever seen. That is a huge testament to all of you, to all of us being caring and loving. Our church is loving. Our church is hospitable. We have some of the best food every single night. And I'm telling you, I don't want to say it's the best ministry, but it's up there. Not that there's, you know, you know, one's better than the other. I'm just saying when my stomach is fed and I go home with a bag of goodies, I mean, come on now. It's, we have an amazing church, don't we? So we, in terms of creating a warm environment, man, we're doing a pretty good job at that. We are doing an amazing job. And I just want to brag on our church because I'm so proud of our church and I'm so proud to be a part of our church. It's, it's amazing. But the reality is the majority of churches in the United States are either aging out or they're shrinking. That's the reality of things. Both in Jesus' time as well as today, churches that grow young find adolescents and emerging adults who need our welcome and embrace and become a warm home for them. Churches that grow young, churches that don't die out, are churches that connect with adolescents and emerging adults. Churches that don't do that, studies and statistics show that they die out and become irrelevant. The beauty is that we have a congregation here that cares for youth. We had this massive Young Life event. Or massive, it's like we have 4 billion people. We had a great Young Life event this past Sunday. We had nearly 100 people show up, 100 people saying, I, I want to learn how to connect with young people. We had, we had people coming saying, saying, you know, we had youth coming, whether, you know, they were either dragged there or they wanted to be there. I said, I don't care why you're here. I'm glad you're here. We had an amazing time with the youth that were there. Then we brought everyone together. It was such a great experience to talk about how do we connect with youth and, and the youth. How do we connect with the older generation? It was just a great time. But you know what that communicated to me? That our church wants to connect with this up-and-coming generation. So I applaud everyone for you. Now, for those who couldn't make it, don't rake on the guilt. It doesn't mean you don't want to connect with this generation. You're busy. You got schedules. I get it. But don't rake on the guilt at all. People asked, did you record it? Did you, you know, any of that stuff? No, we didn't. <laughs> Sorry. But the plan is in the future to do more things like this to keep, you know, keeping our tool chest kind of like sharp or whatever the phrase is, you know, so we could continue to connect with this uh, up and coming generation. So what we have here is an amazing—we have an amazing church that we just reaching out to all sorts of people. It's it's amazing. But but let me kind of just share some tips on how to connect with young people. But when we connect with young people, we got to remember. A couple of things. One is that everything goes back to the cross. And, and here's why I bring up the cross with young people. Because on the cross, God reconciled us to himself. Here's what reconciliation is. Reconciliation is bringing together of two parties, two parties that are strange or in dispute. Jesus Christ is the one who brings together God and humanity with salvation as the result of the union. Reconciliation basically means change or exchange. So on the cross, Jesus brings all of humanity to himself, reconciling us who were once far from God in our sin, died for our sin so we could connect with God. It's the same thing in all our relationships. If we are estranged from somebody, we can reconcile things with people. We can reconcile things with youth. We can reconcile things with our spouses and our loved ones. But reconciliation is what God wants from all of us in all seasons of life. So how do we connect with youth? I'm just going to share with you five important tips for connecting with youth. There's plenty of more. But these are real, these are practical. You can write them down. You can always go back to the website and, and, and listen or watch them again um, as a way of kind of refreshing your memory. But number one, listen with your heart. Listening is a practice skill. Listening is a lost ark. And it's easy to be thinking about our response when they're talking to us, as opposed to really trying to figure out what they're communicating. What are they saying? What is their tone? What is their body language? What's their facial language? Instead of trying to figure all that out, we're trying to think of a response. Listen with our heart, and let's remind ourselves to pay full attention to the content that that the youth are telling us, and this is good for anybody, and let's, let's pay close attention to how they're telling us what they are telling us. Listen with your heart. And when we're listening, try to put ourselves in their shoes. I talked a little bit about this last week. Try to put ourselves in their shoes. And it gives us a different perspective. Number two, repeat what they said. Repeat what they said. What they said. Get it? Eh. It's, this, it's this, uh, this activity called active listening. It's what they do in like premarital counseling and marriage counseling. It's actually really good, even though I'm kind of teasing it, but it's good. It's a good thing. Active listening is this. So let's say I'm talking to a high schooler, and this high schooler is like, Oh my gosh, I just made the game winning shot in my basketball game. And I'm like, What? You know, and I can say that's cool, you know, which is a great response. But active listening we would be like like you like you made the game winning shot like like the last shot. Yeah. Like the last shot, you made it, yeah. And you can kind of pump it up that way. That's a simple example, but when we active listen, what it's doing is communicating to the youth or anybody we're talking to that we value what they're saying. And two, we are saying back to them what we heard because sometimes what they said is not really what they're trying to communicate. So we say it back so that we have clarity of what's going on. So this high schooler makes the last shot and it's like, whoa, you made the last shot? That is so exciting. And, uh, and then we just kind of, you know, go from there and pump up and, and, and all that. And three, this, this flows into it, three, we ask questions. We ask follow-up questions. People love to talk about themselves. People love to talk about themselves. Regardless of age, you could be 100, you could be 7. But people love to talk about themselves. So take, for example, that student that just won the game winning shot good follow-up questions would be like, okay, so how many seconds were left when you made that last shot? All right, where were you on the court when you made that last shot? All right, so you made that last shot. Like, did you, was that shot, did, you, did that coach teach you how to do that? Was it a drawn-up play? Whatever it is, you know, ask follow-up questions, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to tell you more, and more, and more, and more. Why? Because they get to tell you about themselves. But, we're not doing it like as a trick to just get them to talk to us. We're doing it because we genuinely care and we want to celebrate good things. And making the game-winning shot is a game, is a good thing. And then you could go and ask them, well, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Kobe Bryant. And so, just kidding. It's MJ, but it's really Kobe. Um, so, so some other good follow-up questions. If you want to have some good follow-up questions, ask questions that are open-ended. If you ask your kid and when you pick them up from school how was your day, they're going to say, fine. What did you do? I played. And maybe when you pick your kids up from school, that may not be the best time to talk to them. Because usually they're tired, they're stressed, things like that. you got to find the best time to, when, when to talk to your kids. But, but ask open-ended questions when you figure out the best time to talk to your kids or who you're connecting with or who you're mentoring. Find the right time and find the right questions. But ask open-ended questions like... Tell me about how it felt when you had the conversation with so-and-so. Or, 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 or tell me more. That's the key. Tell me more when fill in the blank there. Or, or ask the question, why do you think that is? Again, they get to respond and share. Number four, avoid a monologue. Unless you're Johnny Carson... David Letterman, Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, do not do a monologue. You guys follow me with that one? You guys? All right. I even went to Johnny Carson. Who loves Johnny Carson? Come on, yeah. He's the greatest, right? So avoid the monologue. And the monologue is is is, is like Is is like when we say, well, let me tell you this. There's a balance between finding the wisdom of when not to speak and when to speak. And it's asking God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us in that conversation, in that time. And the more we practice the art of conversation, the better we get at it. Because students and youth and anybody, they want to know that we care for them before they know, before we tell them what we know. And before they tell, they they want to know we care for them before we're telling them about our experiences. So we've got to earn their trust, earn their love, earn their respect. Five, fuel a positive atmosphere. This is going to sound weird. Like everybody has a resting face. This sounds weird, I know. Like if you look at yourself in the mirror, what is your resting face? For some, you got this natural smile. You're bubbly. You're like, yeah, that's good. For some, it's just like this, like this stone-cold face, like you can't, be, you can't read you, you know? For some, it's like you got to frown. You're like, hmm. What does your resting face look like? And only you can answer this. And if you're a married spouse, don't answer for somebody else because uh, you're going to get in trouble. But what is your resting face? And here's what I mean. When we're talking about having a positive environment, one of the best things we could do is learn to smile. Everyone smile. That's kind of creepy, but you know what I mean. Smile where it's not creepy. But smile, because when we smile, that that brings out conversation. And that says, this is a safe place. I am a joyous person. So understand our resting face. Let's have some joy when we talk to people. And also, it's inevitable. It is inevitable when we start building relationships with this emerging generations or anybody for that matter that, wait for it, controversial issues are going to come up. So what controversial issue is it on your heart? So you might be talking to them, and they might be on the polar opposite side of you on whatever controversial issue it is. And in your mind you're thinking, how in the world can you possibly think that? You're not going to say it, right? But we have some options here when we're talking to people, right? One is we could tell them why they're wrong and why we're right. That's not the most effective way to go about it. Because what does that do? That shuts down the conversation. Or what we could do here to fuel a positive environment, instead of explaining our point of view and telling them all the things that, you know, why we're right, why they're wrong, we could ask them. To share about why they believe what they do if a topic comes up and it's interesting enough to talk about. Why do you believe that? Tell me more about that. Then ask follow-up questions. And, And they may ask, well, what do you believe? But they may not. That's not the point. The point here is to find common ground. It's to focus on building a relationship and not building obstacles for that relationship to happen. As the band comes, let me just close with a couple thoughts. Probably more than a couple, but, you know, I'm going to close. I'm landing the plane. Here are some things to not say to young people. (laughs) You ready? And if you've said this, don't feel bad. Do not say, you're lazy, get a job. (laughs) Oh, you've said it. Okay, all right. (laughs) Just raise your hand. How many? Come on, let's just be honest. Forgiveness time, all right. Do not say to them or to a friend about this up-and-coming generation, You're all res- they are all res- irresponsible. In fact, when I was their age, I had two jobs. Anybody said that? And don't say to them, all you do is play video games. Well, go get a life. And never, ever say this, you won't amount to anything. Never say that. We are, if we're going to create a warm environment, Let's be like Jesus. I said this last week as well, but it bears repeating. I'll probably say it next week. That people who wanted to be around Jesus were those who had issues. Were those who didn't necessarily believe what Jesus believed. Those who wanted to be around Jesus were the ones that were kind of the outcasts. The religious leaders were the ones who didn't want to be around him. And I may have misspoke earlier, but you you don't understand The people who wanted to be around Jesus were the outcasts. Those who didn't want to be around Jesus were the religious leaders. So let's be like Jesus. Let's listen and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. Let's ask God to help us have a heart for young people, to have a heart for all people let's be the church for young people and let's be like Jesus in the story that we read at the very beginning the story where his mom and dad left without him but yet the church there in this case the synagogue were there and they took him under their wings they fed him they cared for him they loved on him and they they were there to protect him Let's be that type of church who says, we are here for young people. We're here for young families. We're here for singles. Let's say, we are a church. We are a family. We are Ohana. When we do that, we honor what Jesus did on the cross. Amen? Let's stand. Let's sing.